you remember last week, we started a series, and I said it was very unique that God brought us to the second letter that Paul wrote to start a series. Most people would start it with the first letter. Um, but we started a series looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. And part of the background, just so we're all on the same page, is Paul has planted the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth has been um, unique. And so he's had to go and visit them, and he's had to hear things, and he had to correct them. And, and the first letter is kind of the correction that Paul gave to the church. And then we read in, in the second letter that he's gone and visited them another time, and he said he had a painful visit with them. Uh, and again, I said, as I can just imagine what that meant. And so the second letter, though, the reason why I was drawn to it and the reason why we're digging into it is I really feel like in this second letter, uh, Paul is, is doing a good job of just trying to be an encouragement to the church and trying to talk about them where they're at, but, but also give them perspective, also help them to, to see differently where they're at and what they're going through. He knows they're going through trials. He knows they're going through issues, but, but Paul is trying to kind of encourage them. The verse that that we're going to read every week as we preach this, the one that I believe encapsulates this letter is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That verse says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Boy, if I was transformed every time I looked in the mirror, Amen. <laughs> into the glory. <laughs> I don't think I'm getting much transformation right now. But, but the reality is, and, and so what I want to focus on, or what we were talking about was, what does this transformation mean? And so remember, Pastor Steve, I put it in simplicity, because that's the way I think. The way I looked at this was, I, I put up a picture. If you'll pull that picture up. And, and, and so photography is something that most of us in this room understand. It's not just something on your cell phone. But it used to be something that had film and negatives and, and stuff like that. And what I see Paul doing when it comes to transformation in the book of 2 Corinthians is that he's taking negative and he's presenting the, the positive. Now, Camber, you look astounded. Pictures used to look this way. They used to have these negative strips that would come. And so when you get pictures picked up, you get a a strip with negatives on there, and then they'd give you this. And so you would use your negative if you ever wanted to get the positive. And so what I feel like Paul is accomplishing in the book of 2 Corinthians is he's taking these situations. Recall last week, we talked about Paul wrote, and he said, I know the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, that he comforts us in our sufferings, the sufferings, the, the obstacles, the trials, the troubles. That was the negative. But Paul, in that portion of Scripture we read in, in the first chapter of this letter, he uses the word comfort over and over and over and over again. And so he's taking what could be negative. You can live defined by your sufferings, or you can live transformed, living in comfort. So, so this morning I want to look at another one. When I was reading, because I'm not much on photography, so I was trying to figure out how this worked so I could sound smarter than I really am. And I really didn't come up with much, but I read something about photography. It said, when it's time to print your photo, you must shine light through the negative film. This creates a shadow on photosensitive paper, 
leaving an image that is the opposite of the negative, the positive print. And I thought, wow, is that not what Paul is communicating? We must allow light to shine through the negative so that the positive image can be represented. And no, we're not displaying the, posi- the, the negative. We're not displaying the suffering or the trials, but we're displaying what happens when the light shines through us and we're transformed into His glory. So this morning we're just going to continue in this book and we're going to read the next one. And I think, because I know what God wanted to preach this morning, I know where He led me, that He wanted to make sure He knew you loved Him this morning. I know that God wanted to say, I love you this morning and I'm going to take you to a place we don't like to go in church sometimes. And and I know that, that He wants you to know before He tells you where He's leading you that He loves you. Because I'll be simple and I'll just tell you right now. We're going to look at the word forgiveness today and unforgiveness. And sometimes that's one of those hard realities to be transformed from. Sometimes that's the sermon that steps on our toes. That's the sermon that you just don't get. That's the one that applies to them because they're the one who offended you. That's the one that applies to them because... And I believe that God wants to speak very intimately to each of us today about a negative reality he wants to shine his light through so it can be a positive image of the glory of God. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. We thank you for the word of God that's living and active. We thank you, God, that we can look at your word. We thank you, Father, for preparing our hearts already. And we ask your continued anointing in this place. God, I pray for every word that is spoken. I ask they would be yours. I pray for every word that is heard, God, it would be heard through the Spirit of the Almighty. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you. We ask for nothing but your will to be accomplished in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is Paul writing to the church. If anyone has caused grief, He has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Verse 7, Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. I mean, Paul realizes this is a hard thing. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to be obedient, not just in some things, but in everything. And so I I wrote to see if you would be able to forgive, right? Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I forgive it in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that verse 11 says, Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says, I'm going to take you to a place. And I want to see if you're going to be obedient in everything. Yeah, it's nice to be comforted. That one was easy. Now let's go a little bit deeper. How how about forgiveness? How about putting your place in a heart of forgiveness where you're functioning how? In love. To reaffirm your 
love for them. The one who was offended. What happened? Paul was offended. What was the offense? I'm not sure. But I know that someone caused grief, right? From the very first verse. There's someone who's caused grief. The ones who received the letter, when they say someone who caused grief, they all know who it is. It was important for them to know, not so much for us. And so their hearts, when they read this letter, they're all on the same person. They know who the pot stirrer was, whatever they did. Now remember, Paul, in writing to Corinth, he's dealing with a lot of people who are questioning his authority, they're dividing, they're stirring, they're causing problems. So, so everybody knows probably the faces. And Paul's saying to them now, I'm guessing this is in response potentially to them saying, Paul, you'll never guess what Bob's been doing. He's here, I get to call him out today. <laughs> you'll never guess the things that he's been saying about the church. You'll never guess how far he went to, to paint a picture of you, Paul, and said that you didn't know what you're talking about, you had no authority, you left us, you deserted us. He's been stirring the pie. He said, listen to him, not to you. And Paul writes back and he says, I know the grief he's caused. I mean, it, it hurts me too. The grief is Paul's as well. It's not just your grief, but it's my grief. But he says, I don't want you to remain in that negative image. I don't want you to remain consumed by the offense. Isn't that what happens with forgiveness? There's an offense. I mean, it's bad. And we become consumed by it. You know, there's an offense. Someone did something to us. You will not believe what they did. It was not right. It was not fair. It was not just. It was not anything. And then we almost become consumed by the offense. Our identity can become the offense. Have you been there? I was going to wait till later, but I'll do it now. My testimony of, of my life and, and, and even some of the way that we got to where we're at today. I was living in offense. The church that I served at, there were things that happened and they weren't right. They were wrong. And I allowed myself to live in a place where I was defined not by who God was, but by everything that was being done incorrectly. And so suddenly, rather than being transformed by the light of the gospel shining through me, I was becoming consumed by, by the faults and problems of those that were around me. And quite frankly, in some ways, they became a lord of my life. They were dictating my emotions. They were dictating my responses. In this season of my life, I had just been married. My wife got to deal with me living in a fence in the beginning of our marriage. But I was right, doggone it. And that was wrong. And something needed to be done about that. But it's hard living with the negative. It's hard living in the offense for those that are around you. And so Paul is saying, yes, yes, church, yes, there was a reason to be offended. Bob was naughty. But show him some comfort in love. What? Where's the punishment and justice? 
Can we just like hang him up outside and, and drip water on his head for a while just to see him pay, just to see the punishment for what he's done be, be revealed upon him? I mean, come on, Paul. You know you want it. Paul said, no, I want you to show him not punishment and justice, but comfort and love. You see, forgiveness... It's a kingdom principle. God never said it's easy. I mean, I'm going to show you here in a little bit. We're going to read a parable and, and then we're going to look at a bunch of verses. But the reality is that, that, that forgiveness is, is a way of living that, that the, the kingdom of God is supposed to function in. Yeah, it's, God is just. He's fair. He'll take care of it. But He desires His people to live in forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18. Peter came and said, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother that sins against me? Or how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many times? Up to seven? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he'd begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a talent, just in case you're wondering, is about 15 years' wage. Somewhere in there, 15 to 20 years. And basically what he's saying is there was a man who, who owed more than he could ever afford to pay back. That's the simplicity of this word. He could not afford to pay back what he owed. He was brought to him, verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had. And repayment was to be made. So, verse 26, says the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which was a few days' work or a couple weeks' work, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you in all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Then his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. There's a heart condition in the kingdom of God, which must be forgiveness. How can I forgive? I can forgive because I've been forgiven. The price was paid for me. I know what forgiveness is. Scripture says wages of sin is death, right? There was a price to be paid for my sin. And that price was paid through Jesus Christ. The price that I could never have afforded to pay was paid for me. The kingdom principle is that I live in the forgiveness that I've been given. I know what true forgiveness is. That I'm no longer condemned to die, but I'm destined to an eternity with Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness He's given me. 
yet, yet, don't step on my toes. Don't dent my car in the parking lot. And don't you dare ever say anything about me. What's the scale? You see, the heart of the kingdom is forgiveness. The heart of the king is forgiveness. So I should be demonstrating that heart in my life. If you want some proof, I'll give you some proof. Mark chapter 11. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. How often? Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Now I'm telling you, there's a kingdom principle in forgiveness. Luke chapter 6. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. How? Given, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. How? And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which which binds them together in perfect unity. One more scripture. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ Jesus, or God, Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you hear what those words say? Who here has prayed the Lord's Prayer? Whenever you pray, right? I'm not saying you pray that every time you pray. I used to when I was Catholic, but now we know what the Lord's Prayer is, right? Do you realize when you pray what you're praying? Think through that prayer real quick. Just run it through in your brain. Let the words come out. It's all right. If you can't remember, it's going to be up on the screen. Go ahead and pull that next slide up. Verse 12. Your prayer to God that you've been praying over and over again is what? Forgive us our debts. How? Do you mean it? Like, do you really mean that? You know you better than I know you. Who wants to say the Lord's Prayer now? Like, what if the measure of the king was based upon me? Obviously, kingdom, the kingdom principle of, of forgiveness is huge. He's saying, forgive and you will be forgiven. Man. I've been praying my whole life to forgive me as I forgive others. I don't like that standard. That standard can be frightening because my, my forgiveness has tended to be conditional. My forgiveness has contended at times been based upon punishment. Like, I'll forgive as long as I see it punished. Like seriously, like let me just see him get punished and I'll, hey, I forgive you now. How's your butt feel? <laughs> Said that for my superintendent. You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't that so much? When I started thinking about the genuineness of, of the heart of forgiveness.
You see, Paul gives us an insight into why the kingdom principle is forgiveness. He gives us a really good clue at the end of that verse about why I need to forgive. Now, fishermen, you know, fishermen were not always very creative. And when we find out something that works, we always go back to it. When I was in Kentucky, Bass Pro Shop sold a fluke. It was a rubber fluke. It looked like a little baby bass. And I knew that I could use that in the pond I fished no matter what. And every time I went, I could catch as many fish as I wanted with that one little fluke, that one little piece of rubber, rubber lure. I knew it would work every time. It didn't. I mean, every cast just about I could catch one. It was a farm pond, and I know that there was probably bass on top of bass, and it, maybe it wasn't even that, but that's how I was convinced. But then suddenly Bass Pro Shop stopped making what worked. They're saying, fishermen, we know what works, and we keep going back to what works. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that, that the reason we forgive, why? Is in order that Satan might not outwit us, for not, we're not unaware of his schemes. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, knowing that people struggle with forgiveness, and, and he's putting it in the context of these verses, why? Because this is, is the devil's scheme. It works! It works. It worked in Corinth. It's going to work today. It worked in Alexandria. It works in your life. It works in my life. And since he knows it works, he's just going to keep doing the same thing. Paul says, we're not unaware. Which I would have to correct Paul if I was editing his letter and just put, we are aware. Why do you have to use a double negative, Paul? We are aware of his schemes. He says, we're not unaware of his schemes. That means that you know what he's trying to do. He's done this same thing over and over and over. He's had church problems. He's had church splits. He's dealt with people who didn't like each other and people who just wanted to see uh, offense. They wanted to see punishment. They wanted to see justice. He knows that's in us and he keeps playing on that little string. Why are we surprised he's still doing it today? You know, a lot of times when we think about forgiveness... We equate it just to me and Mary. Like, I need to forgive Mary because she's my peer. What about forgiveness with yourself? Father, forgive me as I forgive myself. That's the enemy's scheme. He's going to tell you not to forgive yourself. He's going to tell you you're a failure. He's going to tell you to stay in that place of justice, that place of punishment, that place that says, I don't deserve, that place that says, I can't, that place that, that, that binds us because we can never forgive ourselves because we made the mistake and we did it again or we said this or we did that or here goes our mouth running again. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Some of you might need to hear this morning, forgive God. Forgive us as we forgive you. Mm. But it wasn't fair. I mean, it wasn't right. And we become offended and we blame. In my notes, this is, this is one of those tweet things. I don't tweet, I don't know how you do it. Offense builds offense. Offense Builds like a white picket fence. 
It builds a brown fence that separates you from something else. I've been talking in, in, in our church and, and, and where we've been about the, the importance of community within the body of Christ and how, how I believe it is imperative for us to grow as a body in, in order for us... You know, we looked at the book of Acts. I'll read it again. They, they, they continued to meet together in their temple courts. Before this verse, it said the apostles... They were, they were doing signs and wonders. The people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. All these things were going on in the early church. But verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. How? With glad and sincere hearts. That doesn't mean that they were eating together with, with fences and unforgiveness with one another, but they had glad and sincere hearts to be together. And God did What? He added to their numbers daily. I believe the greatest tool of evangelism that the church has today is our love for one another. The enemy's scheme is that we build our fence and we stay divided from each other. Man, let me say it. If you're offended with the church, forgive. If you're offended with the pastor, I'm sorry. If you need to hear it, I'm sorry. Forgive. Wherever you might be, whatever might be happening, whatever might be going on in your life, the reality is the enemy, the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, the one whose goal is for the kingdom of God to fail, the one who set himself up against us, he's, he's going around like a purring lion, what's he looking for? Someone to devour, so he waits until someone steps on your toes and he starts getting in your ear because you separate yourself from the body of Christ because someone hurts you or something was said and he starts to whisper in you and he gets ready to devour you by isolating you from the body. We're not unaware of his schemes. So Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, I shared my testimony, but I want to come back to it because that's exactly what I let. I let the enemy define me by my offense. Was it justified? Yeah. Was I right? Always. You know the worst thing is when you know you're right and then God rebukes you with the truth. Man, I was so right. I was so right that I was wrong. I was so justified in my offense that I allowed the body of Christ to be attacked. I was so justified in my hurts that I allowed it to affect my church. I allowed it to affect myself. I allowed it to affect my marriage. Why? I look back and I think of myself with these stinking little puppet strings that I let the enemy use me. And it upsets me. And then I come preach at a church in, in Crawford, Nebraska, of all places. Couldn't have found it on a map. Still can't find it on a map sometimes. Because it's not on some of them. And I show up at a church and this thinking Sunday school teacher, she's teaching a book called The Bait of Satan. 
It's all about Satan's scheme to use unforgiveness in your life to torment you. God brought me to a place where I had to deal with the reality of my heart and allow the light of the good news of Jesus Christ, allow the glory of God to shine upon what was negative and be able to present what is now a positive image. I'm no longer bound by what happened. I'm no longer compelled by justice. I'm no longer worried about that season, but I've been transformed by the glory of God. look like that anymore. I don't want my wife to live like that anymore. I don't want my church to experience that. I don't want myself to be trapped by that. I want to be motivated by love. How do I forgive? Pastor, how do you forgive? I don't know other than the forgiveness of God flowing through me. You know, Paul was talking about comfort last week. Man, my comfort is limited. There's only so many times I can pat you on the back and say it's going to be okay, but because of the comfort of God that is within me, I can comfort you even when I can't comfort no more. You know what I'm saying? The love of God. He fills us with His love. Why? So we can love beyond the love that we know. Beyond the love that comes from me. Because at some point, I'm going to say, I don't love you. You're going to say, Pastor, will you help me? And I'm going to say, no, I don't like you anymore. Apart from the love of God flowing in me and flowing through me. Let me tell you, I've got to live in the forgiveness of God so God's forgiveness can come through me. So when it seems impossible to forgive, I draw into the source that is Him. I'm transformed by the glory of God. The glory is Jesus Christ who was revealed on a cross that died for my sin. The punishment was paid that was irrepayable. I could not pay that. And because I know what His forgiveness means to me, and I know what it means for my eternity, I'm not worried about these momentary and temporary trials. But we, you guys can come forward. I don't know what you play this one. Good luck. Pause just while they're getting organized because I want to say this. If you didn't notice how neat it was to have the orchestration of the Holy Spirit in with us this morning, when you hear the word that God spoke, and I can promise you Angie did not know what Walt was going to be playing right after that, and he told us he loved us and he would not leave us. In the first chorus of that song, it was like, how can you not recognize that God wants to tell you that this morning? His anointing, that's why I love the sovereignty of God. I like to point that out because sometimes... We miss that. That was not planned. That was not orchestrated. That was the hand of God speaking to us so we would hear that this morning. Just like Walt is anointed, I believe Angie was anointed in sharing the word, I believe this word is anointed for us this place. And we can do the same thing with all of this. We experience it. We said, Pastor, that was a good word. Well, you sweat, you preached, you screamed, you shouted. Man, did you see that? That's pretty cool how Angie said something and Walt sang that. And if we're not transformed, what good is it? I want to be transformed. You know, that offense might be huge. That hurt It might be deep. 
you know, just because God is God. I won't show you the name, but in my Bible, while I was in here, I put my Bible on 2 Corinthians this morning. We got in here, and I had a piece of paper with a name written on the top of it. And I know what I'm preaching. And I didn't look at this until stinking worship. I look at the name. Nope. Knew who it was. I knew what God was saying. He was taking me behind the woodshed for a little bit and saying, Hey, have you forgiven? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Paul said, I know this is, I'm going to test you in your obedience. And it's hard sometimes. And let me tell you, you say, Pastor, I forgave, but are you living in forgiveness? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I forgave them, but man, I still want to see a meteorite fall on their house tonight. Giving them completely. He said in the parable, it's from the heart. You might have to forgive today. You might have to forgive this afternoon. You might have to forgive several times today. But man, I want to live in forgiveness. I don't want the enemy to use me. I don't want his scheme. I don't want to be any part of his scheme. His plans. Cut the strings. Don't let him be the puppet master. Live in forgiveness because by our love they will know. Father, I come to you this morning and I thank you for this time. And God, and all across this room, God, I pray that You give us pieces of paper with a name. God, I pray that you give us images of that place where we're living in unforgiveness. God, I ask that we could see those places we haven't forgiven others. We haven't forgiven them for what they said. We haven't forgiven them for what they've done. God, I pray for us. In us, God, that we would behold as a mirror, we'd see those places where, God, we haven't forgiven ourselves. We've let ourselves be defined by the offense, the failure, the shortcoming. God, let us be aware of those images, those places this morning where we haven't found forgiveness for you. Yeah, it wasn't fair. Yeah, it wasn't right. Yeah, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I want to be in your kingdom. God, help us to shine the light God, I pray that this morning you would shine the light.
That's Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. He said, I am the light of the world. God, I pray you would shine the light of Jesus Christ upon each one of these images. That today would be a day of transformation. That today would be a day where we would behold, we would demonstrate the glory of God in our lives. Help us this morning in this place. In Jesus' name. You're going to lead us in a, in a chorus and... I want to open the altars up. Sometimes we've got to get away. Sometimes we've got to get alone. Sometimes we need someone to pray with us and encourage us. And this morning, if, if you have a need, whether it's unforgiveness that God smacked you in the face with this morning, or it's something else in your life, a, a circumstance, a trial, maybe you still need comfort this week, or maybe you need the hand of God or the power of God. I want this to be a time of prayer, and so you can come forward, or, or you guys can, we can pray together where you're at, whatever you feel like God is, is, is leading upon your life. But I know I want the kingdom and the power of the kingdom. I know I want to live in forgiveness, not behind that fence anymore. I know I want the fullness of community revealed. Amen? God said He's with you. God said He loves you. I want to live in His love. Amen? I want to live in forgiveness. I want to live transformed. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may your heart be his heart. And may you live in forgiveness. Amen? Be blessed.